The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. We'll begin at verse 7. This over the Christmas holidays, my family endured the great invasion of two sets of grandparents coming in from out of state to visit us and shower us with Christmas spirit and plenty of gifts. And uh, because our long-distance grandparents, uh, my parents and my wife's parents, because they live so far away, they only get here about once or twice a year. And so we'll hear the common refrain as my parents or my wife's parents greet our children. They'll often say, wow, look at how you've grown. And, and with genuine wonder, awe, and excitement. I believe that expresses the heart of God, who delights in seeing his children grow as we pick up again in the book of Ephesians, in the latter half, which is immensely practical, we come to this part of Paul's vision and exhortation where he is challenging us to grow, to appropriate God's grace, to utilize his gifts, to grow in unity and in union with Christ. I begin reading Ephesians 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's holy and inspired word. Father, we pray once again that you might send your spirit to give us insight and understanding into your word, that you might pierce us, convict us, renew us, and restore us. 
in the likeness of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. When I was in the seventh grade, I began to experience pain in both of my knees, especially during football practice. The wear and tear of running and weight training and especially excruciating was when our coach had us take a knee and listen to him go on and on and on about with praises or criticisms of our most recent practice or game. And the pain in my knees was so acute that my parents took me to an orthopedist. And in fact, it was the same doctor who had repaired my father's injured knee that I mentioned a few weeks ago from a a long-ago Halloween night incident. So during the evaluation with the orthopedist, he checked me out, evaluated my knees, and concluded that I was suffering from what is known as Osgood-Schlatter's disease, if I pronounce that right. And uh, this is a fairly common growing pain disease. And it's basically the phenomena of adolescence where your bones are growing faster than your tendons, which results in pain and inflammation. And there's really no major concern. It's something that you outgrow in about two years' time. But he did prescribe to me various stretches and exercises and ice treatments, which I diligently did so that I could continue to play football and basketball and not wanting to complain and lose my starting position over a little knee pain. Uh, but as youth are, invincible, continued to press on in the, in the midst of pain. Growth does not happen without pain. As the saying goes, no pain, no gain. Growing up is hard, but necessary. Recently, I was instructing one of my sons in weightlifting, with our weight set at home, and and helping him to understand that by enduring pain, actually tearing muscle during a workout is what enables the body to strengthen and grow back muscle mass. Well, Paul seems to have a similar idea in mind as he uses the analogy of the body and how we're called to grow, and we all have a part to play, and we're going to be stretched and pulled, and strained, and we need healing and restoration. And so, Paul, I believe, in our text, is offering for us the measure and the means of what it takes to grow on to maturity in Christ. First, I want us to consider the measure of God's grace and the gifts that are given to us through Christ. Now, we know from here and elsewhere that spiritual growth is not merely a matter of effort in, our, in the flesh. Human nature, a void of the Spirit of God, can not only not do any good, much less produce spiritual growth unto godliness. A plant cannot grow without the light and the energy of the sun. Likewise, The human heart, the human soul cannot bear fruit without an ample measure of God's grace. And grace, Paul says, is given to us as a measure of God's will for us in Christ. My wife and children back in December 
baked a various assortment of Christmas cookies. And for each one, there was a specific set of directions, measuring out ingredients for different kinds of cookies. Some cookies were colorful, some cookies were extra sweet, some cookies were more traditional, and some were just plain chocolate. And in the same way, God measures out to each of us a portion of his grace because he has a purpose for us. He has an intention to use us for a particular purpose because we have a role to play, a part to play in the great drama of life in the story of redemption. Now, it says here that uh, each of us has been afforded particular gifts that we might serve and grow into the likeness of Christ. And here in verses 8 through 10, Paul quotes and comments upon Psalm 68. And here Paul is taking David's vision of God victorious in battle over his enemies. And he applies it to Christ as the conquering king who plunders his enemies and then lavishes his gifts upon his people. And this is taken from a common phenomenon in the ancient world where a victorious king would be given tribute from the defeated kings. And then when that king was returning home to his kingdom, he would share the wealth. He would share the spoils, particularly with his nobles, those who lended him support and aid. Friends, you and I are nobles. You and I share in the spoil and the wealth and the riches of our victorious king. You and I have a status that has been elevated because of the victory of Christ. Now, Jesus, we remember, had chosen very simple men. Fishermen, people who have the status of merchants, even a revolutionary, we believe. And he appointed them as apostles and prophets. And Paul goes on here to say that he continues to bless the church and equipping them, very common people, gifting them and calling them to be evangelists, pastors, and teachers for equipping and building up the body of Christ. Now, one thing that I've observed over the years at Christmas time is that Americans are, are really pretty much half hearted in perpetuating this myth that Santa Claus gives gifts only to good boys and girls. And and, and nobody violates that pattern more than grandparents. Okay, so, you know, grandparents don't play nice. They come in and they bring bukus of gifts, regardless of whether the children have been naughty or nice. And they come in, and uh, if they weren't rotten already, they're going to be rotten after being spoiled, by the lavish gifts of doting grandparents. Now, among our gift collection this year was a number of costumes. And so one of our sons got a fireman costume. And another one got a policeman costume. And then uh, another one got a Power Ranger costume. Now, our youngest son, when he saw that Power Ranger costume, he knew what he wanted. And when he had opened up all his gifts, he didn't find one. And he took issue with that. And uh, we had to deal with that on Christmas Day. Now, 
Paul is telling us that all of us receive precious and good gifts from our God and Father. But we oftentimes compare ourselves. We look around and we try to measure up to what other people's gifts are. We have a a, a weakness and tendency to covet what other people have. And just as a child must mature and learn to appreciate the gifts he or she has and express gratitude towards the gift giver and be content, so followers followers of Christ must learn to appropriate God's grace, to appreciate his good gifts in a spirit of humility and thanksgiving. Now, another lesson to be learned from this Christmas is a reminder to me and to you that just as grandparents love to give their grandchildren gifts, so God our Father loves to give good gifts to his children. My wife and I confess that we can be kind of stingy. God is never stingy. God is prodigal. God is lavish, and God delights to give to his people good and perfect gifts. As Paul says elsewhere, if he did not spare his only son, how much more will he graciously give us all things? And by the way, our youngest son may actually be expecting a Power Ranger costume on his birthday in a few weeks. So just want to set the record straight. So the purpose, the purpose of God in measuring out his gifts of grace becomes a very means of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry and the building up of the body of Christ. Gifts, the gifts of God, are not to be hoarded. They are not to be used for selfish gain. They are tools for service. All the saints... All the saints of God, not just the pastors, not just the professional Christians, all the saints are called to do the work of ministry. And I believe in my, my particular calling as a pastor, it has been impressed upon me more and more over the years how I am called primarily to equip the saints, to equip you, to help you be effective in your ministry. My ministry is your ministry helping you to be effective in ways that I will never be effective. And and that's the joy and the blessing of seeing you mature and develop and discover gifts. That's a pastor's joy and privilege. Now, our family moved into a new house last year, and we've been very busy with various projects, putting in some new flooring, and and more recently we're starting some painting uh, throughout the house. And our children, thankfully, have been eager to help. And so I've had the privilege of teaching my children how to use some of the tools, some of the hammers and drills and nail and uh, guns and trim nailers, and now teach them how to paint and to keep it off the floor and to keep it off the carpet. And that can be a challenge. And I have to be patient. And even though I know I could do it faster myself, if I just do it myself... I know the long-term benefit of trying to help my children learn how to do this will not only be a blessing to my wife and I to help spread the labor, but also a blessing to my children learning important skills. 
of home improvement and building uh, and blessing our home. I believe that God is not content for his church to be like a dilapidated old house. I mean, who, who moves into a beat-up house and does nothing to fix it up? Rather, God calls us to work, to improve it, to refine it. And, and why is that? Because the church is the temple of God. You and I are God's representatives on earth. You and I are his witnesses. It is our calling to direct people, to point people, to be a warning and a sign to declare to lost people how to flee from the coming wrath, how to find salvation, freedom, and the forgiveness of sins. Now you find in the Old Testament there were a number of zealous and godly kings who restored the temple, Solomon's temple. Over time, Solomon's temple would get worn down. And, and there are, some, of, some of the kings drifted into pagan worship and brought in idolatry into Solomon's temple. And a great reformer would come along and hire workmen and raise taxes and pay the workers to restore and refinish the temple and to cast out the idolatrous elements that had, been, that had leaked in. And whenever God's people did this, there was revival, there was renewal. People began to worship and be restored to God in faithful worship and service. And likewise, we're called to renew our worship, to keep the temple fit and healthy and holy and God-centered. And that applies to our lives, it applies to our ministry, it applies to everything that we do, that we want to be God's temple on earth to represent him. You may be familiar with a, the Sunday paper and daily comic strip entitled Dustin. It's uh, the comic strip of a, of a young man who lives at home, is not very ambitious, uh, kind of is a freeloader off of his parents, and, and, and the whole theme of the strip is Dustin being picked on and made fun of by family and friends because he's not taking much initiative. And it's kind of a satire on a broader problem in our culture uh, of, of delayed maturity, of young people not growing on to maturity. And I thought about how, how we, sometimes that happens in the church, where there's delayed maturity, where there's a resistance to grow and take responsibility, where there can be people in the church who are professing Christ but aren't taking much initiative. And I want to challenge you to not be a Dustin, to take initiative in following Christ, to consider what does it look like for you to grow in God's grace, to find a place to serve, to invest yourself spiritually, to allow yourself to be stretched on a short-term mission trip, on a new responsibility here, on a, a discipline that will help you grow in grace. Now, over the holidays, uh, a member of our family gave us the board game Risk. Some of you snicker or groan because you know this game. Uh, This game Risk is is a game of world conquest where you, you have all the continents on this big map, and each player has a number of soldiers, and you roll dice, and you have to be strategic in attacking 
your opponents, and you want to, basically you're trying to attack and take over. And it's really fun at first because you're you're dominating your opponent, but it doesn't take long for you to realize that just just when you think you're winning, just when you think you're totally dominating a particular area of the board, you realize you've neglected another part of your board, and you've left your defenses weak, and someone else comes along and takes you out from behind. And it's very frustrating. And it reminds me of the Christian life. Of just when you think you're growing in one area, you realize you've neglected another area. And just when you get big on yourself, oh, look, look what I'm doing over here, I forgot about another area of my life that needs growth, renovation, and better defenses. And it's a humble reminder of how much we need God's grace. We can't do it in our flesh. We can't just grow ourselves by willpower. We constantly need God's grace to maintain and grow and mature according to God's perfect will for us in Christ. So, appropriating a measure of God's gifts of grace, it means equipping us for the work of ministry. It means building up the body of Christ But there is a goal, and that goal is to grow onto maturity. And in verses 13 through 16, Paul expresses this in terms of unity and our union with Christ. So one goal of our maturity is unity in faith. And Paul describes it here as as receiving the knowledge of the Son of God. That that it's, it's a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I believe what Paul is talking about here is a personal knowledge of Christ. Not so much knowing about him, but experiencing him. Abiding with him, a growing with him. And I've grown more and more convinced that true Christian maturity comes as we are more and more identified with Christ. As we are abandoning pride as we are abandoning a false identity, and we have many false identities, things that we boast about, things that we're proud of, things that need to be abandoned, things that Paul elsewhere calls rubbish, and to learn to boast and rejoice in glory in Christ and him alone as the only source of our worth and significance. You see, when we're focused on ourselves, when we are boasting and comparing ourselves or complaining about things, We are failing at maturity and unity. As we put aside pride, as we abide in Christ, as we are unified as a body, we become secure and whole as a people of God. And the result, verse 14 tells us, is that we grow on a maturity no longer like children, being tossed about on the waves and in the wind. My children at home love it when I take them and toss them onto the bed or onto the couch. Or when we go to the pool, they want me to throw them out into the water. Now, when they're young and little, that's easy. As they get older and bigger, that becomes much more difficult. Little children are easily molded, easily tossed around, very vulnerable. And as Paul points out here, very vulnerable to threats. And when we are childlike in this sense, as a young Christian, we are very vulnerable and exposed to the attacks of the enemy and his cunning and his deceit and his lies. And like that game of risk where we get boastful and we're branching out into new areas and we neglect our defenses back at home, 
So in our youth and our ignorance, we need correction. We need teaching. We need to be well-grounded in doctrine and Christian experience. And that's why Paul goes on to say the remedy here is speaking the truth in love. That that we, as the body of Christ, we're called into relationship with one another to confront one another, to rebuke, to teach and correct each other. Because the goal is to make people wise, to make people strong, to make believers less susceptible to the lies and falsehoods of the enemy, and to grow on in our union with Christ. And Paul here makes another appeal to this organic relationship that you and I, as the body of Christ, we are connected, and we all have a part to play. We all have a role, and we're called to function, Paul says, we're called to function properly as we are connected to one another in unity, as we are united with Christ, who is the head of the body. And he says here that the whole body, when it's functioning properly, when we are living by faith, when we are appropriating God's grace, it says the whole body builds itself up in love. That is Paul's vision for us. It is a unique community of love and health and strength and growth of union with Christ and unity and fellowship with one another. I spoke to my parents on the phone this past week. Uh, they wanted to talk to me about a matter. And uh, after some small talk on the phone, uh, my parents raised to my awareness uh, some matters of concern that happened on the recent visit where on a number of occasions I was impatient with them. I, I was short with them and irritable. And uh, my, my parents, being gracious, kind of excused it by acknowledging, well, they're older now. And it was a four-day visit all in the same home. We've got children everywhere, and we're busy. And uh, I, I appreciated that. But they expressed they, they were hurt by some of the things that I had said. And that was very humbling. And, and I apologized to them and did not adopt those excuses, wanted to take ownership of the things. And neither one of us could remember the specific things that happened, but we both knew they were there. And I was grieving over the fact that I had hurt them. And I acknowledged to my parents that that's a weakness of mine, that, that I can be irritable, that I can indulge sinful anger and use it, whether it's with my parents or my children, uh, our extended family, and elsewhere. And uh, I was very grateful for my parents taking the initiative and having the courage to address this, to actually talk it, to talk it through with me, because their desire is that we have a good relationship. And we have a big trip planned out next fall together with our extended family, and, and they want to address it now rather than let it fester for later. And I appreciate it. And I appreciated the gracious way that they went about it, even as humbling as it was. And it, it reminds, to me, reminds me of my need to grow. My need to take Paul's message here seriously and apply it to a particular area of weakness in my life. To, to deal with issues of unrighteous anger. Of impatience and irritability. And, you know, these are the kind of things that you can either easily blow it off 
Or sometimes I know my own heart, I can despair. Why ever grow? Why ever lick this? Why ever be done with this, this besetting sin that dogs me and follows after me? But I have to come back to the gospel and be reminded in the power of Christ, the one who has defeated sin, the one who dwells within me, the one who gives me his grace and his good gifts. And I don't think I'm alone here. I think every single one of us has issues and errors in our life that, that, that discourage us, that dog us. And uh, we need a real, realistic assessment of where we're weak, where our defenses are exposed, and where we need to renew our commitment to grow, to change, where we need new repentance to begin again, to mature in the likeness of Christ. So I challenge you tonight, where do you need to grow? Perhaps, like me, you struggle with anger. Does it have a stranglehold in your life? Does, it, does the devil have a foothold, as Paul will go on to say later on here in chapter 4? Perhaps your issue is fear. Does fear consume you? Maybe it's a need for financial security. Maybe it's a fear of rejection or a lack of acceptance from others. Is that an area that needs to be yielded to Christ? Are there other areas, other idols of ease and pleasure that are consuming in your life? Or perhaps for you, the the, the sin issues are far more subtle. There's issues of pride, self-righteousness, a judgmental spirit. Let me encourage you to, to listen to what Paul is saying. Let me challenge husbands. When Paul says to to love your wives, as we'll get to in chapter 5, do you listen to her? Do you serve her? Are you gentle with her? For wives, are you respectful towards your husband? Do you tone down the sharpness of your tongue and speak with kindness when you need his attention? For people who are not married... These principles apply in your relationships. Are there struggles with your coworkers? An attitude issue with parents or siblings? You know, we're going to be addressing all kinds of practical issues in coming weeks because chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Ephesians are chock full of practical applications. Let me encourage you to ask God to to use this season in your life to bring forth growth, to bear fruit in your life that that you might grow in unity with your brothers and sisters, that you might mature in your union with Christ and enjoy the sweetness of fellowship by the Spirit. Several nights ago, I heard one of my sons crying in his bedroom And I almost immediately knew exactly what the problem was. Because it's a a recurring problem that he has had. And also a problem that one of his older brothers had years ago when he was his age. And so I quietly went into the bedroom and I sat on his bed. And I began to massage the calf muscles of his legs. And I could feel right away that cramp 
in those calf muscles and would just take his foot and just gently but firmly begin to flex it and stretch out those muscles. Several of my sons have the notorious growing pains of cramps in their calf muscles. You know, God is familiar with our growing pains. That, that, you know that God, he knows our afflictions, that he hears our cry. He knows exactly who we are, where we are, and what our need is right away. And God comes to us. He enters and he comes to massage and to heal and to restore and to aid and to help us grow on to maturity. And, and his goal was perfect. His goal is to make us like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will not be satisfied with anything less to make you perfect and complete in Christ on that glorious and great final day. Let me encourage you to trust him, to yield to him, to commit yourself to appropriate the measure of his abundant grace and utilize those means of grace to grow in maturity and to do your part to build up the body of Christ, that his name may be praised on earth, both now and forevermore. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful for your grace and compassion, that you know us, that you have a purpose for us, that you are working in us, to make us complete, and I pray that you would encourage us in areas where we need to grow and mature as, as sons and daughters and as a whole family, a household, as the body of Christ. May you bless us and be with us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.